let's just do like a little test. Sure. Talk some shit. Uh, about you? Yeah. Uh, Dave oh, Christensen boy. smells like onions. He smells so much like onions that if there were a chef who wanted to make a stew, he'd chop up Dave Christensen and then that chef would cry. But no one else would cry because they'd be like, thank God somebody killed Dave Christensen, <laughs> cut him up into tiny pieces, and served him to the homeless. Happy Thanksgiving, America KKKA. Great, your turn. <laughs> oh, uh... Dave, I just don't really care for you uh, as a person. Um, <laughs> specifically, the time we spend together is usually uh, it like it feels like I could be doing better things with it. Um, <laughs> like anything, like uh, I am not crazy about cleaning my bathroom, but it feels like that would be time better well spent. <laughs> Great, my turn, Dave. <laughs> Uh, you probably just need to get rid of yourself in some form <laughs> yeah. or other, whether that be uh, suicide or just moving away. Sure. You probably make everybody's life better. Mm. Maybe. <laughs> Is that all recorded? Yeah. Welcome to I Will Watch Anything Once. I'm your host, Mark David Christensen. Yeah, it's been a while again since I posted the last episode, but that's okay. I'm doing this all by myself, right? One day I'll have consistency in publishing these. But, you know, for now, I'm just having fun. Real quick, before we get to the episode, I just wanted to talk about two things that I recently saw or um, read that I liked that I can encourage people to see. First one would be Ant-Man. I did not have really a big anticipation for this movie. I didn't know what to expect. After the Age of Ultron, I did have a bit of a sour taste in my mouth for the Marvel movies and the future of Marvel movies. I was just not excited for the future of Marvel movies. However, Ant-Man revived that it just it just renewed my like how fun comic book and superhero movies can be especially just movies in general when they're simple just keep it simple um and make them fun Um, not all movies need to be fun i'm just saying most things are better when they're simple also just finished volume four of the graphic novel profit uh by graham roy and a couple of other uh, writers and artists i highly suggest picking it up Prophet is one of the most imaginative and expansive um, comic books I've ever read. It would be up there in a sense of like Lord of the Rings and Dune and having a great universe. Definitely pick it up if you if you like comic books. If you don't, if you just like good storytelling, and, you, and especially if you like science fiction, go ahead, go pick up Prophet. But enough about what I like. Let's get to this episode with uh, my good friend Alex Berg. And a special guest, uh, also a great friend of mine, Jake Jabor. What did we just watch, Alex? We watched the 2011 Adam Curtis documentary, All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace, uh, Part 1. And why did you want me to see this? I wanted you to see that because uh, it was uh, it was one of those documentaries that I discovered accidentally, and I found it very informative and very cool and very intelligent, and it struck me as the sort of thing that you might not stumble into on your own. You know, like, I think if I recommended like a movie to you, you can find your way to any movie. These Adam Curtis documentaries exist in such a weird fucking corner of, like, knowledge 
that I don't know how you how anyone would find their way to him unless someone recommended it to them. You know, and like even me, like I, w- I went into that documentary the first time I saw it because I saw a um, like a review on New Scientist and I thought it was going to be a documentary on the history of science, and then it was that. You know, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And, and now I love him. He's like one of my favorite, you know, filmmakers and thinkers. So hopefully some of that has rubbed off on you, you twerp. <laughs> oh, so this is an educational thing. You didn't think I had, had it in me, and you're like, ah. Uh, You've you, always struck me as a bit of a boor. You know, so I, I thought maybe. Smart enough. Yeah, yeah, I thought that maybe this would get you out of that. I can understand that. But, but no, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where this stuff pops up, you know? Like, I've never talked to anybody who's been like, oh, yeah, I know about him, you know? And it seems like maybe in London he's a bigger presence, you know, or in England, rather. But out here, it's just not... It's a really weird sort of documentary, and I don't know... I don't know. I just think it's so rad. It's it's so cool. It's like one of the more original things I've seen. Yeah, I would agree. I, I highly enjoyed it because of... Probably a lot of it because of the style it's not like the old footage it's almost uh, and maybe this is the wrong way to describe it but it's like a, a meditative documentary kind of yeah because it's not like you know it's sort of going I mean and Jake tell me your thoughts too as someone who's seen it for the first time yeah. but you know it's because it's not like a you know my default mode for documentaries is like nature documentaries and biographies where it's like oh here's file footage of this thing we're talking about you know like here's an elephant and it's mating you know like or you know here's Stephen Hawking he's still in a wheelchair you, you know or whatever it is <laughs> but this is it, it's Adam Curtis talking about all these like kind of general trends and forces that shaped 20th century like in this in this episode economic culture um, and there's no real way to show that so I, I really respond to how creative he gets with the visual imagery using stock footage and stuff and also I think his music choices add like a really great element to it all oh 100% they had craft work there at one point, so I was yeah, like, yeah. I um, it felt like it was like out, like stuck out of time, except that it was referencing like historical moments. So you knew it had to be after these dates, but like going through it, it was like, wait, when did this like? Because uh, it is like stock footage, and it's like this, yeah. And it like the people there interviewing, and it's all like it feels older than it should, but it like kept moving forward in time. So it was like, oh, now we're at nine eleven. Like now we're at these things where it's like you don't have like polished CNN interviews and stuff like that. Like it had no, it really catches yeah. you off guard because yeah. you go like, Obama's here. This <laughs> yeah. was made when Obama was in office. Yeah, 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 yeah it's very weird. Uh, and like yeah. the like the subtitles and everything that read like it felt a little bit like the last art exhibit I went to was like a Mike Kelly one, which is. It's not the same in tone, but that thing of like where you go into an art exhibit and it's like you're looking at pictures and then the words come up and they're like a little longer than they need to be maybe or they add yeah. things like that that purple subtitle at the end that was like 40 years later or whatever and it's yeah. just like a choice that sort of sticks out for you a little bit that made it feel like, oh, this is a documentary, but it also feels like an art piece a little. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. You know, it's interesting you say that because the I haven't checked in on him in a while, but the last thing that I think Adam Curtis was doing was part of a traveling live art show. Oh, um, okay. And so, and that part of it was like a you know sort of uh, not found footage, but um, uh, archival footage, yeah. pastiche like this was part of this like traveling art exhibit. Yeah. Um, so I think he's very much in that mindset. Yeah, it's cool. Was it him narrating, by the way? Yes. That's okay. I just yeah, wanted yeah. to clarify that. He sounds pretty older, unless I just think, unless I just automatically think with people with British accents are always yeah, older. Yeah, if I hear someone with a British accent, I go like, oh, you must be from the Victorian era. <laughs> <laughs> You've somehow survived into our time with magic, spelled with a K. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that that's him narrating, and uh, I think he's, uh, I want to say he's like in his 50s or 60s, he's been a BBC journalist 
journalist for a long time. Um, and he keeps a really, really great blog that's all the same thing. I mean, all of this guy's uh, documentaries and pretty much everything he writes about on his blog sort of boils down to this uh, very human thing where he's, one, he's the most distrustful person of politicians <laughs> and anybody with any shred of power I've ever come across. But his main thing is like, you know, the world is a complex place. And so as humans, we try to make these models to simplify it so that we can understand it. But then as those models are effective, we forget that the models are a simplification and we think that the models will predict everything accurately mm -hmm. and then they don't. So, you know, in this one, he talks a lot about the ways in which the models that Greenspan and, and um, uh, was uh, Scott Rubin, who is the, the treasury? I think it's Rubin, but I can't. Rick Rubin? No, yeah, that's it's Rick Rubin. Yeah, it was Rick Rubin. Rick, Rick Rubin. Um, Great time. Yeah, yeah, it was Rick Rubin. Uh, but like the models <laughs> that those, the economic models those guys developed predicted certain things would happen. And then they started to think that things would happen and, and those things started happening rather. And so everybody, you know, put more faith and more trust in these models. But then the world is chaotic, you know, like they, they do a really good job in that first episode of showing how the Lewinsky scandal, which is not at all tied to one of those models really fucking skewered things for the global economy because it took power away from Bill Clinton and gave it to the Treasury, you know? And yeah, the Treasury sure. had certain self-interest in mind, you know? So a, a lot of his documentaries follow that same sort of central conceit where it's like, don't forget that the model is a simplification and that the world is a complex place that's very chaotic and very difficult to predict. That's a big thing that stood out to me in this documentary because there's two events that, like, that were very... Um, interesting to me about love in this because mm -hmm. it was like great we have all these models and we're going to try to lock everything down and can pretty much have control over it and be free and it will take care of itself but then Anne Rand's own thing who I don't know much about Anne Rand that's what I really was fascinating is yeah, this is a documentary that kind of brings stuff that I don't know knowledge about yeah. to the forefront and makes me even more now curious about it more because the last time I heard about um, Atlas Shrugged was because my parents I think watched that shitty movie. <laughs> the one and that then, came out like two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They watched it, and my mom was like, Dave, you need to watch this. And like, I think she sent me a link to reading Atlas Shrugged, and I was like, this is the randomest yeah. thing that I expected from my mom to, to read Atlas Shrugged. So I don't know much about her other... And then like this even informed me of her own philosophy that I wasn't even really fully aware of. But I loved how that... Her, even her in that cold, cold quote where she's like, if you can't, if you're weak, you don't deserve love. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, she like, means, holy, yeah. yeah, she is not. I watched her say that quote and I was like, I could think of three dudes sitting on a couch right now who don't deserve love by your definition. Yeah, like, <laughs> I know. Damn it. I'm oh real weak. God, yeah. <laughs> to see the three of us on a Tuesday afternoon going like, well, yeah, I guess she's right. Yeah. I oh. knew it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been thinking this for years. I needed this Russian woman from yeah. 50 years ago to confirm yeah, it for she's me. She's on point. Oh, yep, shees right. Yeah. Um, I'll just—I'll stop. I'll stop it all together and try yeah, to yeah. achieve it. Yeah, and then it touched on her personal love life a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, and like that's it was like yeah, and like how that sort of screwed things yeah. up. But that's what I love. I was like that unpredictable thing got in the way, regardless yeah. of her even having like a clear like if you're weak, you don't get love, or like love will get in the way. It's it's part of this whole plan of like just being selfish. I'm just really generalizing her philosophy. Sure, sure, sure. But, but I mean, I think that, that, you know, when they asked her to sum it up, she said, I'm attacking altruism. You yeah. know, like, that was her whole thing. Is like, you should act in your own self-interest and you'll be great. And I love that because her own fault was that she, in a way, broke away from that, at least in briefly, because she was, she was acting on her own, like, selfish self to have an affair. Mm -hmm. Then the guy was pretty much living by that same philosophy, ended up having another affair, but then she flipped out. Yeah. And I'm like, but wait, 
That, but you did that. Same you did thing. that too, yeah. and you should, in a way, you should be like, "Great, you're doing what I what I wanted you to do." Yeah. Or that's the way the world works. The way I want it to work is that you should just be able to do whatever you want. Well, so this is a so you raise a great point. Like this is another like recurring theme in a lot of his stuff, where you know that same idea of. You know, well, it's okay for me to do it, but you better not. Yeah. You know, like that, that he uses over and over again with people in power where it's like, you know, they'll do these things to acquire power, to stay in power. And then the second someone else starts doing them, all of a sudden those things are evil and forbidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a documentary called The Power of Nightmares that's really, really good. And it's about the rise of the neoconservative movement um, in the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, paralleling that with the rise of the like crazy fundamental, um, uh, like crazy fundamentalist Muslims, like uh, that led to Osama bin Laden and, and the attacks in the World Trade Center and, the, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the attacks of nine twelve. But it's that same thing where it's like these sort of myths and these stories that these guys wove was great when they were doing it, but the second they saw Islamic fundamentalists doing the same thing, they were like, whoa, this is evil. And it's like, no, yeah. you fucking asshole. It was evil when you did it too, you stupid son. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. Um, but that, he really kind of revels, I think, in exposing that hypocrisy a little bit. And that's that's one of the things I like about him is that he's very intelligent and very objective about it. You know, like, it's, it's difficult to tell whether or not how much of himself he's inserting in this mm-hmm. because he's not saying this is how we should live. He's not saying, okay, well, here's this fucked up situation. Here's a way out of it, I think. It's just him going like, yeah, no, it's fucked. And yeah. leaving it there, which I love right. because that's like, you know, I'll compare it to Serial which just because I started listening to it recently. And Serial is, is the opposite of a documentary. It's not, hey, here's this thing that happened and we're talking about it. It's, I'm this plucky radio producer and I'm going to solve this thing. I'm going to fix it. Right. And he's mm-hmm. saying like, no, there's nothing to be fixed. It's all fucked. Yeah. But I'm going to let you at least know how fucked it is so that maybe you can come up with a way out of it, you know, like, which I think is really interesting and certainly leaves me thinking more after I watch it than something that it feels a little more prescriptive. Yeah, I tend to, like, shut off if I think something is prescript, like, and especially if it feels like it's done in that tone of, like, doesn't that seem bad? Like, wouldn't you wish there was something you could do about <laughs> right, it? And right. it's like, uh, you're not pulling one over on me. Uh, yeah. But something like this is like, I am clear. it's clear that he's kind of got points he's trying to make, but it's it's not like at the end of it he wants you to, like, subscribe to his way of thinking as much as he wants you to sort of see the same things that he's seeing. Yeah, he's just kind of going like, hey, let's just pull the curtain back. I don't know what happens next, yeah. but I know this curtain should not be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think anytime I feel a message or, like, your hand is being held on any... Thing, I'm a, I immediately check it. I get so turned off. I feel like that's yeah. so condescending to an audience. Yeah, you know? I just saw a play this week, this last weekend, where it was that, and I was like, "Yep, your message is clear." Yeah, I don't care now anymore for anything that you else you're putting on the stage, like character-wise, because your message is too clear and too on the nose. And same with movies. I'm just like, "Great, you're making me feel. You're trying to make me feel this way. Therefore, I'm aware of it." Yeah, yeah. But like, that's what I appreciated. This is like it does leave you. At least it's like, yep, we're fucked. But it almost, for some people, maybe not us schlubs, us three schlubs that are sitting on a couch that can't have love. But there are probably people that might see this. And even though he's not pushing you one way or another, you can see a movie that ends like this or um, Aang saying, a film saying, yep, we're fucked, might trigger in somebody else going like, well, let me be the person that unfucks it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the nice thing is, because it is very bleak. I really do think his outlook is very bleak. It's so bleak. It's basically saying like, look, everything's fucked. You have no shot at dismantling it. But at least now you know how fucked it is. You know, but um, oh, I lost my point now because I started talking about how fucked it was. But uh, <laughs> but it's great. 
<laughs> so if it comes back to me, I'll revisit it. But yeah, and other thing that like really kind of visually drove that home which I really appreciated in it. In other documentaries, we would have probably seen a lot of sound bits with Bill Clinton. Yeah. Kind of driving home, like, the lost idea. Pretty much what we got was most was the interview of Ayn Rand. That was the most, yeah. Because I think she's the most person that was just blunt about how she felt, whereas, like, Bill Clinton and even Greenspan, probably for the sake, probably have stuff that's more scripted and not really true to what they're thinking. But then I love that instead of going after those things, he just grabbed, like, footage... Like that great piece of footage we all laughed at, where Bill Clinton is clearly just waiting for the cameras oh, like to turn on and he's picking his out of his, his teeth. teeth. And that makes you go, yeah. yep, it's a fucking human that runs our fucking country. Yeah. There's, there's nothing more doomed than that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's that whole, like, you know, a, a, a chain's only as strong as its weakest link sort of a thing. You know, and recently with, there was a couple huge data breaches where it turns out, like, the way these hackers got in is because, like, one guy was checking his email and got a phishing thing and, you know, like, sent this whole thing off. And, like, he sort of paints a picture of Bill Clinton as, like, the guy who clicked on a phishing link, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, and, like, that phishing link was Monica Lewinsky. And because of that, it started this domino chain where he, you know, lost political power and sway and, you know, became wrapped up in that. And so the fucking money guys started running the show. You know, and I think he does a really good job, too, of, you know, even with as much as they focused on uh, uh, Ayn Rand, or Ayn Rand, I suppose, um, he really does do a good job being like, but she's really only important because of the philosophical movement she set in motion like you know for him I think the more important things more so than the people are the ideas that those people push forward and the ways in which those ideas and the agendas behind those ideas sort of shape um, in this case you know the economy and society around them that's also really interesting to me too to have like the main character in your story or in your narrative be like this idea of selfishness you know or, or, or whatever it is like that's that's also really interesting to me and not something I've seen in any other documentary I can think of yeah I can't think of that either like we said like most a lot of documentaries are biographical mm-hmm. and I've recently watched like the John Ford one which is unbiased surprisingly by PBS but it still in the end focuses on like that person's like triumph and he's yeah. being a great human being even in his faults where this is like nope She's just there yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking selfish. She ended up collecting stamps towards the end. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Confidently collecting stamps. Yeah, by herself. Yeah. Going, this is logical, this is rational, this <laughs> yeah. is what I want. I'm weak now, therefore very, I do not yeah, deserve love. To be like, mm-hmm, it's also so know. crazy to hear those anecdotes about Alan Greenspan as like a mid-20s logical positivist in New York. <laughs> yeah. Like sitting there with... Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Not Russell Brand, but uh, Russell Brand. Him sitting there with Russell Brand. Um, but, uh, you know, him sitting there with that guy that started the institution for Ayn Rand going, like, I'm not sure if I exist. And it's like, that guy is one of the most powerful people right now. Like, ever. You know? Like, yeah. he controls the fucking economy like no one else. Yeah, does. I think that was so surprising, that connect. And I just have general sort of broad strokes about these people. And it's like, Greenspan has, like, done a pretty good job with the hand he's been dealt or the level he rose to. And then it's like, and Anne Rand is like, I've been sort of opposed to her way of thinking, except for like talking to Gilly recently. Like, Gilly is a big uh, Anne Rand. Oh, really? Yeah. No, really? Yeah. Whoa! Uh, she's like, I gotta get you that book. Uh, Atlas Shrugged or just another book? Uh, Maybe at, the Fountainhead. Yeah, the Fountainhead. Fountainhead? She's like, yeah, because I've like, I'm teaching and she's like, you don't always need to be doing that. You can be doing stuff for yourself. And she's like, you gotta get a hold of this book. That makes so sense uh, with her now. That <laughs> so I've like started <laughs> to take funny. this more like, uh, like open approach to it. And then it was like, and Alan Greenspan, it's like, those are connected? Like, it 
that was crazy to me. Right. Also, there is a thing, and you know, this is my own bias, but like all the philosophy majors I knew in college were like the crunchiest, like like most likely to go live in a tent, you know, like sort of people (laughs) I knew. And so to think of like Alan Greenspan as a guy whose like life was dominated by a very specific branch of philosophy at one point is like, but he's a corporate stooge. He wears a suit. Yeah. How was he? At, you know, it's like it's just because I'm such an asshole. It's like, how could he get philosophy? He likes money. No, yeah, right. you know, like, uh, yeah, it was well, he's just a giant form of philosophy anyway. I mean, it was a big <laughs> uh, reason why I chose philosophy in college because I was like, this is a soft science. I can't get this wrong. Like, it's like, <laughs> like I'm getting by with like uh, B's and C's. There's no F's as long as you like. This is what I think, yeah. and this is why. I was like, so to find it like connected to the economy, where it feels like. Uh, it feels like you should be a little bit more hard nosed. Like those numbers should add up, or like uh, yeah, it's a little like. And it, I guess, it sort of worked. Is the takeaway I got for a while, right? Like, What's interesting too is how much he, as much as this really is a documentary about the way in which computers affected everything, he doesn't really talk about them much in this no, first episode. I, yeah, they sort of show up. Question. Yeah, they sort of show up, and he's like, you know, they let the financial sector do these calculations about risk management, and you know. Um, and uh, hedging their bets um, more effectively. And then that had this impact. But, like, that's part of one of the fun things about the documentary is, like, the rise of our dependency on computers is always kind of this, like, parallel story running in the background. And you see these moments where it crops up and just throws everything into complete disarray, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. holy fuck. You know, like, the the launch of the PlayStation 2 becomes a major thing in, in one of the later episodes. Ooh, you know? I can't like, wait to see that. And not because everyone's gaming, because of its secondary effects, you know? And I think that's one of the other things he does really well is... Saying like, yeah, yeah, but what's the secondary effect? What's the tertiary effect? You know, like what's what's the ripple that goes out from this one moment? Um, and my favorite, my favorite kind of historians do that very much. Like, uh, there's a guy named um, uh, James Burke who has a really great documentary series called Connections. BBC put out, I think, in the '80s. But like his whole thing is he'll start with like. Okay, so, you know, people in China 6,000 years ago needed to collect rainwater. And so now we have dishwashers, you know, or something like that. Or, like, it'll be this weird convoluted path through thousands of years of history. Um, And when you look at it, you go, like, that's so insane and so chaotic. How could anybody have predicted that? Mm -hmm. But that's the the virtue of history is hindsight's 20-20. You can look back and sort of see how things came to be. But also James Burke, was that? James Burke, yeah, Connections. Um, And he wrote a book called The Knowledge Web that's like a choose-your-own-adventure history of science. (laughs) Oh, like Like, you know, he'll talk about, like, a water pump or, like, you know, the invention of the plow or something. And then in the margin, he'll have page numbers. And you can go, like, oh, so the plow also led to this thing. And you can kind of bounce around all that leisure. Yeah, oh, I love that. That's yeah, great. he's really great. This documentary also makes me know that I'm not plugged into the world at all. Oh, yes. I am completely like just in even the things that are happening on right now that I know are going on, meaning Ferguson and everything else in the world right now. I'm like, I am completely not plugged in or knowledgeable. That's what the documentary made me think. Like, I'm a, I'm a fucking stooge, man. I'm a nothing, and I, and I'm, there's times where I'm like, I'm an idiot because I just. I don't own it. I don't own like regular television and normally watch news other than maybe the Daily Show because it will entertain me at the same time, but educate me. But I'm like, I don't know shit. I don't even know how my own like neighborhood government works. Oh, I have no. I'm so ignorant about this stuff. You know, um, 
and and normally I don't feel that pang of ignorance until like right around like election time, and not even midterms. Midterms, I'm just like, nah, I don't care, you know. <laughs> right. But like the presidential elections, like you know, every four years I start like paying attention to politics for like a few months, yeah. you know. Yeah. But yeah, this I think also makes me feel a little bit better about it in kind of a weird way, where it's like, well, but even if I was tuned in, I would have never figured that out. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's yeah, true. You know, this is yeah. very like because there's even that great moment where the guys are like, yeah, we straight up were just keeping this from the president. Yeah, so we're not gonna know either. But I still was like, Ugh, I wish I was still new more. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, <laughs> never mind the strings. I wasn't looking at the puppets. Like, I don't know yeah, what yeah. I was doing yeah. in the late night, like yeah. early and late 90s. I was watching porn, <laughs> <laughs> watching pornography. I believe back then yeah. it would have been a lot of like, you know, like JPEGs that took 20 minutes to load of like <laughs> Pamela Anderson before plastic surgery and like Carmen Electra yeah. and maybe like Jenny yeah. McCarthy top. Yeah. Like, that's what I would have been doing when all that I remember shit was those going days. Down. I would have been caught. I remember getting caught on the my dad caught my searching of Playboy cha- like um, internet mm-hmm. and I my brother took the blame I don't know I still to this day don't know why he took the blame because he was probably <laughs> also doing the same I thing. don't think he was though like I will, I should ask him this Thanksgiving it's this yeah. week so but I, I I honestly don't think he was looking I think I was the only one that really was curious unless I'm wrong maybe he was but he was much older than me and I don't feel like why he would. I mean, I'm much he older just than you were up, then, and I still do. I know, yeah. that's true. I, I still do, too. Yeah. <laughs> My dad is way older. <laughs> Jake's above it. Jake's above pornography, but his dad is a Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean. <laughs> yeah, when you talked about your dad... I think you know that one, like where you found out your dad would like his old friends would email each other. Oh, uh, that's the thing of our like dad's generation and above. They still use email to like get on a group chain and send like pictures of naked girls. Like uh, I cleaned out my grandpa's email and it was like every once in a while it'd be like from another retired colonel and it'd be like, "Hey Nick, get a load of this," and it's just like a girl with big breasts and it's like that generation still thinks like the internet is like. I better save this picture and send it to a friend. They'll never yeah. be able to find it. It's like, well... <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll find the big boobs. <laughs> yeah, it's actually fine. difficult not to run into that on the yeah. internet nowadays. Yeah. You can like, look up Bible verses and end up with big boobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Boobs are everywhere. And that's, I think, a central point of Adam Curtis. <laughs> Adam Curtis is all he's trying to tell us. The big boobs are everywhere. Um. So does it... Uh, will it then come back around? Like, does it... It does, yeah. Like, the the first time I watched this, the final line of narration of the final episode really sort of floored me. Um, I don't want to get into it too much, but the very broad strokes of it are, um, and I think that this is stuff you could extrapolate on your own very easily from this, given more time to digest it, but sort of the very broad strokes of it are, you know, when he talks about a little bit with the, when he talks about uh, the commodification uh, of stuff, you know, from the pre-Facebook era, you know, that, that woman talking about, like, how she she dialed everything back. She was commodifying herself. He talks about a way in which computers made it easy to predict and model things mathematically, which made it easy to think of people as commodities and think of them as sort of mathematical numbers, which made it easier to treat them inhumanely. You know, and that's kind of the big thing he says is, like, you know, the computers tell us that there are these goals we can achieve if we act uh, in a certain way, but... In that kind of cold, calculated rationality that the computers allow us to have, we sort of forget some of the messy humanity along the way that is affected by these decisions we make, you know, with the best of intentions. He's not even trying to say people are evil necessarily most of the time. 
It's just, yeah, they had the best of intentions, but also they forgot that the world is a chaotic and messy place. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot more of that, like treating people like they're not human in that in that third episode. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. It definitely you can see it leading there. That whole pong thing was very yeah, interesting that was really cool. to me. Yeah, really cool, but also like maybe my cynical self can see like how that can become a disaster in itself. Yeah, because I was like, I get it. I'm like, yeah, that's great. There's a subconscious thing about like how we're gonna do this, but like there's a dark, there's some weird dark side I can see to that. Yeah, and I think he also speaks a bit to you know I don't think he ever says this explicitly, and I don't know how much of this is you know just me viewing it through a lens but he also seems to really think that human beings have a natural tendency to submit control like they want control then when they get it, it's disastrous so they turn it over to someone who they think knows better and then it's disastrous because that person's also an idiot and also human you know they're also yeah. just picking shit out of their teeth while they're <laughs> you know and that that uh that story of the um the pong thing uh in the documentary um you know so for those who haven't seen it or haven't watched it before this, they get a room full of people um, in front of a projector screen. Everybody has a paddle on one side, it's red, on the other side, it's green. Um, and they put Pong up on the projector screen. And when you hold up the red side of the paddle, your room controls one of the Pong paddles. And red makes it go up and green makes it go down. And in order to play Pong correctly, like, you know, you have to get the, the paddle in the middle sometimes. So it can't be everybody just putting up red or everybody putting up mm-hmm. green. And there's no centralized control. And that he talks about that as kind of like the dream of the early computer pioneers in Silicon Valley saying like, well, if we do this sort of Randian thing and we all act in our own self-interest, this control will naturally emerge. You know, but for me, like I had a teacher in college who really hammered home the point, like to claim that something is an emergent phenomenon is just to say that we don't understand it yet. And to write it off as an emergent phenomenon is intellectually lazy, you know, Uh, like whether that's intentional or not, which I I find really interesting. You know, so like the classic example is always like there's nothing in the molecular makeup of hydrogen or oxygen that predicts wetness. But when you put them together in the right ratio and form water, wetness is something that is self-evident, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so an emergentist would say like, well, that's because that's that's something you couldn't predict. That's something that could only happen. And a reductionist would say, like, no, we just don't understand it yet. Let's keep digging, you know? Yeah. And then the big thing that comes into play with is consciousness, which also really ties into computers and stuff. Because an emergentist says, well, consciousness is an emergent phenomenon. You can't predict it from the core structure of a brain or the chemical um, activity in, in a brain or the electrical activity or the makeup of the cells or anything like that. It's emergent. And then a reductionist say like, no, we just don't understand it well enough <laughs> right. yet. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, which would, that, that was something that always really stuck with me. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is it? This, this might be cynical of me, but like, so when we showed that pong thing with everybody having like, you only have these two choices. Sure. And then later on the film, and I don't think this was an intention of Curtis at all, but like, when we showed people rioting, I was like, that's the same thing. Just some people are choosing to like break into shit, and some people aren't. And I was like. It's just this. We're that simple as humans. Yeah, I mean, we well, you know. Kept, <laughs> I saw a great. Uh, so you know, as we're recording this, the the Ferguson verdict was announced last night. Ugh. You know, obviously that was a, a fucking shit show. Um, but you know, I saw a great uh, tweet from Dave Holmes. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, where he said he was uh, addressing you know like people online who were sort of saying like, well, why don't the calm protesters just like rein in the violent ones or something like that. You know, and Dave's tweet was something to the effect of, like, to those of you saying you should do that, 
try to shut up your most racist uncle at Thanksgiving. This week. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it's you, you know, I think that at least for me personally, I think humans respond well to loose rules or at least concrete goals. You know, and I think when you take all that stuff away. A lot of that individualism does come out in people. I don't think it's inherent. I don't think people are inherently assholes. I think people are, are more often than not inherently altruistic. But it's interesting to see him go like, okay, well, here's an experiment where we tried it out with the global economy, and here's what went down. You know, yeah. when, we took, when we took all this regulation away, the most powerful people took advantage of it, and the people who didn't have any power caught the brunt end of it. So clearly his thesis is that we need rules in order to balance out that power so that those disenfranchised people don't get completely fucked, like, as it sounds, all of Indonesia. Malaysia, South Korea, and Thailand did in the late 90s. Yeah, that's the one thing I think that this documentary informed me of that. I had no clue about any of that oh, until this documentary. Now I'm like, one, it just makes me like hate myself as an American slightly. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't have anything to do with it really. But still, just like, Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. And it sort of makes you go like, you know, because I've... I travel in liberal circles, you guys. I I use reefer <laughs> from time to time. But, you know, it also makes me go like, you know, because my whole, when I went to college, I met socially conscious people for the first time, like vegans and anarchists and people who listen to punk music and protested George Bush's inauguration, you know, and like all yeah. this sort of shit. And they would always bitch about the IMF and I'd go like, I don't know, it's just another bank. And then you watch something like that and you're like, no, that's pretty manipulative and ultimately destructive and really just paid off for a small handful of American business interests, you yeah. know, like... That's really yeah. fucked up. That's really fucked up, you know? Just that language of, like, they saw the problem that it wasn't Americanized enough. Like, it was like, you can have this money, but you've got to... Yeah, you got to westernize your, your economy. Yeah, westernize your economy. It was like, whoa, that is insane. Yeah. Well, it, to just have the audacity to think that, like, that's an okay yeah. thing to do to an We're entire... perfect. You do it our way. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Don't we, we still yeah, sort of think we that. We see a problem. Yeah. Like, that's the whole idea. Like, it's weird when you think about the idea of globalization. That idea isn't really what it means. It's like Americanization to yeah, the no, globe. Yeah, it's, it's westernization. Yeah, yeah it's like, ugh. Yeah, because, I mean, if you really want to look at, like, a global perspective, like, globally, most people are living without clean drinking water, you know, and, like, fairly <laughs> yeah. abject poverty. Like, I'm sure if someone came, and came over to America and was like... You guys have too much plumbing. <laughs> we we got to third worldize your plumbing system. You know, you got to start shitting in ditches yeah. and like walking five miles to get clean drinking water. And then you got to wait in line for it. And you should also have a warlord who comes and takes your children away and gives them guns. You know, like we, I think we would react negatively to that. You know, like, probably. Yeah. But when it's in, you know, when you look at, you know, someone who has as much power, certainly since World War II as America, and they're saying like, look, we're doing pretty well. We can help you do well. It's like when a friend of yours, you know, like is successful and they're like, nah, you got to do acting workshops. That's what I did. You go like, well, it worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me. Yeah, and it's kind right. of understandable yeah. how a country could succumb to that kind of pressure. Not necessarily excusable to apply that pressure, but it does seem like it's – it. you know, I, I, I am cynical. I really, I really do think most government people are fucking assholes and are trying to accumulate power for themselves. Um, but it does seem like there is at least a glimmer of good intent there. Like we figured out a way to fix the economy using these computer models. We're going to show you guys how to do it. The world economy will benefit. There's clearly enough wealth on the planet to make everybody be doing at least okay. Maybe this is a first step in the way towards that. But then it gets abused by these small groups of people and throws everything out. You know, So you can't, yeah. you can't trust in that rationality. Definitely. I don't think any rationality in the end will work for every situation. No. Because it... Uh, and I say that as a rational person. It kills me to say that, but like... <laughs> like yeah, I but, just... I mean, I think that's just, just... It's just... Yeah. It's impossible to make any... Every prediction can... 
be broken. This really makes me think about when I took like a religion class in college, and we talked about the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Do do unto people as you do, and the guy, our teacher just brought up. What if you're a masochist? Do we still uphold to that rule? And I'm like, oh yeah, that one fucking rule is not. Per- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah, if you fucking love pain, then go ahead, give other people pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like uh, you know, in my elementary school, I think the teachers would always be like, especially in art class because we had big tables, which was like really cool. Um, <laughs> they would be like, don't put your feet on the table. Would you put your feet on your table at home? And I was always like, yeah. That's what's the point of having a table if you can't put your feet on? You know, yeah. like what kind of a weird home do you live in? You know, like where everything's like this fucking. It's a precious table. You know, like, fuck you. I'm putting my feet up and I'm finger painting. Eat a dick. You know, like, I'm looking forward to watching part two and part three with you. I know that. Yeah, I'm we'll have to, you back to, to watch it out. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like if there was anything I wanted you guys to go do now that you've seen part one prior to part two is I would say like go go find a blog article of his on a topic that that interests you even moderately and read it. And his blog articles are basically just full length documentaries that he hasn't found the archival footage to splice over yet. So, like, his blog articles will be, like, two paragraphs of text, then, like, a 20-minute clip on something from, like, some old BBC program from the 60s about, like, one guy you've never heard of. And then another, like, four paragraphs of text, and then, like, another insert like that. And they're they're incredibly dense. They take a long time to go through. The, the most recent one I read was all about – it was right after the Snowden revelations came out, and he was saying, like – you know, everyone's freaking out about the government having all this information, and he's like, but the thing, the, the government wants you to freak out about it because that freak out is predicated on the presumption that they can do something with it. And he sort of goes through and is like, well, let's look at the intelligence apparatus in uh, U.S. and the U.K. during the Cold War. They never caught a single spy with all that fucking intelligence money they were funneling to it. And none of them were able to predict the the downfall of the Soviet Union. None of them saw that coming. That caught them all off guard. And that was exactly the thing they were looking for. You know? Yeah. yeah. And he does a really good job of breaking it down. And he just has a, you know, and it's the same kind of bleak perspective on, like, the government's incompetent and, you know, like, everyone's an idiot, you know, and that sort of stuff. (laughs) Right. Um, But, you know, and, like, he has another one on, like, cruise ships. I never thought cruise ships were that interesting. but Yeah. He talks about, like, how cruise ships became a thing and how they started off as this, like, really kind of egalitarian, like, hey, let's make it easy for people who live in privileged parts of the world to go see what the rest of the world lives like. Because then once they see that, they won't be able to, like, rest at night, like, spending their money selfishly. Like, it will increase the humanitarian aspect. Oh, wow. But then, like, the guy who started – as either, like, Carnival or Norwegian, like, one of these major cruise lines – needed a business partner and so he got a business partner helped him execute this idea and then the business partner took over and now yeah. it's like exacerbated the very problem that that guy tried to solve you know <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god you know so it's a, it's a lot of that sort of stuff and it's really fascinating so I'll I'll, I'll send you guys a link once we uh, once we turn yeah, the microphones off yeah that would be great um, um, I want to just jump on that cruise thing yeah sure because I I wouldn't find them fascinating have you ever heard of uh, John Ronson that name sounds familiar, but I think it's because I'm thinking of Samantha Ronson, uh, who was Lindsay Lohan's lesbian DJ lover, who I met at a party one time. <laughs> so the John short Ronson. answer is no, no. I don't know who John Ronson is. John Ronson is just uh, a journalist, but he puts out a lot of essays, like compiles of his like articles or essays. And he did one called Lost at Sea that's about cruise ships. Oh. It's 
terrifying one about it's just about how when people go missing what they and like there's a large amount of people that every year go missing off of cruise ships that just don't ever get accounted for and a lot of it has to do is that like the all those cruise ships even though they're american companies that are like you think you're buying from all of them are like their jurisdiction and where they're registered are all out of the country. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through all these foreign countries if you oh. have a missing family member Whoa. on a cruise ship. Jesus. Yeah, it's 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 frightening. I like I read that and I was like, I don't want to go on I, my brother my sister and her husband always go on cruises and I'm just like I that sounds terrifying. I don't want to even be part also, of it. So I've been on a couple cruises, like unless you really like all you can eat scrambled eggs. You know, and the company of old people. Like, there's not much for it's you It's just there. like a hotel that yeah. it's on water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, like, the areas of, like, the places you go. Like, I went on one cruise to um, Tahiti, and I went on another one to, like, the Caribbean and stuff. And it's like, they let you off the cruise ship, and you're in this, like, literally in Jamaica. We were in a fenced-in area with barbed wire at the top of the fence with, like, a Margaritaville and two... <laughs> Souvenir shops, and it's like, this isn't Jamaica. I may be in Jamaica right now, but this is not Jamaica. Yeah, clever technicality. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and so it's, it's like a lot of that. I mean, it depends where you go, honestly. Right. Like, because Tahiti, they did let you just wander around, and that was like pretty cool. But still, it's like you have to be back at the cruise ship by sundown, you know, and then we're taking off, you know, yeah. and it's just like you spend so much time on that boat, and it's just, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, a weird middle America way of exploring real culture yeah, and I guess or it's, going out of the country you know and going back to like its origins like that's kind of what it was intended to be you know like it, it was intended to be this thing of like if people only knew how the Jamaicans lived they would funnel money into that country and get it up and on its feet and instead of like no 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 we don't want to know how they live we want a Margaritaville you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. Like, yeah. wasting away man wasting yeah. away sad poignant point real poignant Margaritaville what do you think he's like just hanging out Curtis. My guess is that he is exasperated all the time. Like, I'll bet you something happens on the news, and because he, he's a journalist, he's been watching right. all this. Stuff. That's what, how he knows all that archival footage. They just BBC just lets him do whatever he wants. So he's been watching all this stuff for years. So I bet you, like, hanging out with him and talking about any kind of current events would be like having someone who just had their first week of one on one try to explain their favorite scene to you. Where you just go like, hey, I appreciate that you enjoy this, but like, I know that wasn't a good scene, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like it's no fault of yours. Like, you're just learning, you know? Like, but I think for him, he's like that old dog where it's like he's been in the race for so long, he can see through all the bullshit instantly, and I think he must be so frustrated by it. He must be so frustrated by it because this is the only thing he can do to affect change, right? right? Like, he's not passing legislation. He's not like a political activist. He makes these documentaries, and I think, you know, I don't think he's a huge documentarian. I don't think people know him that well. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. Maybe in, in England it's different. But I think it, might, it must feel at times like he's just shouting into the abyss. It's got to be, yeah. You know? at, least there's, at least he keeps doing it, though. Yeah. That gives you hope of at least somebody's just still doing it. Yeah, at least the abyss will hear him. And sometimes the abyss will just shout back, right? Yeah. It might be your own voice, yeah, though. But hey! <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this podcast is the abyss shouting back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Berg. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having thanks us for over having and us watch. Over. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll return to watch part two and three. Cool, great. Sh- yeah, awesome. And thank you, Jabor, for being the oh, little yeah, special electric guest. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, real great. 
Thank you for listening to I Will Watch Anything Once. Uh, if you want more from Alex Berg, you can follow him on Twitter at actuallyberg. He also has a great improv blog at Improv Octopus on Tumblr. It's amazing. Follow it if you're an improv nerd. Um, he has great advice, a great point of view on approaching improv. Weekly, you can see him at UCB performing with um, Convoy, 11 p.m. on Thursday at UCB Franklin, as well as with Sentimental Lady on Saturdays at 7 p.m. also at UCB Franklin. He is a great teacher as well with the UCB, so try to take a class from Alex Berg. He's sort of a sort of an asshole. He'll probably ruin your improv experience, but you should definitely take that class just to be able to talk shit on him. If you want more from Jake Jabor, follow him on Twitter at, at @wakeupwithjacob. Also, he's a co-host of a great improv show called Shapeshift Improv. That is on the first and third Thursday of the month at the Clubhouse. Definitely check that out. It's a great improv show where every team puts up a new form. He also improvises with my team, Squeeze. Um, which is a great team. We've been um, improvising for several years now. We perform at The Nerdist um, once a month. We will post about that. I'm not sure on the next date. As well as Jake is a creator and writer and also um, a performer in one of my favorite shows, actually my favorite late night show currently, which is We're Gross with Gilly Neeson. Uh, I hope I pronounced Gilly's last name right. But uh, We're Gross is a great late night show at UCB Franklin. The next We're Gross is on August 21st. I highly suggest not missing We're Gross. It's a great show. It's gross, but also it's super positive. You walk away with it uh, knowing that your weekend is only going to get better. If you are enjoying I Will Watch Anything Once, please um, go on iTunes. Um, rate and subscribe um, in review. That will help the podcast getting out there in the world if you're enjoying it. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at IWWAO as well as the Tumblr at IWillWatchAnythingOnce.tumblr.com And if you have suggestions for me that you'd like um, a movie that you think I should watch, definitely email me at IWillWatchAnythingOnce at gmail.com. Send a Twitter to me, as well as you can de- definitely send a message on Tumblr. But please, uh, keep listening. Stay tuned. We have great guests on the way. Hopefully I'll, you know, be more consistent as I said before, but that's alright. I'm doing my best. And remember, if you haven't seen it once, you can't complain. So you were a terrible student. Yeah. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Every teacher punched me in the mouth. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's why That's why you have all those fake teeth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they look great. Yeah. <laughs> Got like a Charlton Heston mouth.